You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jeff Brown. He's the author of Soul Shaping. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. You're welcome. Jeff, this is an interesting book because it's a memoir of uh, a spiritual memoir. And I'd like you to take us to the point, the cusp of the point where you decided to change your life. I had uh, been called to the bar in in Canada. And um, just before I was about to sign on the dotted line and and begin a practice as a criminal attorney, um, I heard a little uh, voice inside of me. I had named that voice years before the warrior self who I identified myself as, named that voice Little Missy. And this esoteric, subtle, hazy voice told me to walk away from that path. And I loved law. I wasn't a lawyer who wasn't called to it. I had felt called to it all my life. I apprenticed for a guy in Canada who I used to see on TV, and I used to say that I'd work with that man one day. So I was quite in it and quite gratified on a lot of different levels. But this subtle voice just kept pulling me off in another direction. And I made the decision at that point, and I know that was the key point of my journey to step back and to not make a definitive decision about law, and then really the rest of the journey just erupted from that point forward. Tell us about your experiences before this point. What brought you to this point? You've become, you know, a a very difficult path to become a lawyer. When was the first seed of this change planted, and how did it grow? Uh, in my early 20s, I was an uh, undergraduate in, in Canada, and I would be writing school notes, and I would start writing on the sidebar, you are not who you appear to be. You are not who you appear to be. I had no idea where that came from, which part of me was writing that, who was the watcher, who was the writer. That was the first indication that there was some other pathway of possibility living inside of me other than the one I was consciously focused on. Um, And then I went uh, to Turkey on a trip that I regretted for many years, but now don't regret. And Turkish hair lost my clothes, and I had this real profound emotional opening. I was really uncomfortable and eager to go home and really wanted my clothes back. And something happened. I made this decision to just open something. And in that place, I saw other experiences, almost like past life experiences. I sat and I wrote, and I saw that there was a writer living inside of me. I saw that there was a psychotherapist living inside of me. There were all these archetypal possibilities. And so when I came back, and this was just before I had to make the decision about law, I had a much broader framework of perception as to who Jeff Brown was, and the law just didn't look the same anymore. Could you talk about some of the reading you might have done along the way before you made the decision, the, some of the spiritual reading and other reading that might have uh, influenced the voice in your head, your perceptions? I, sp- I read the Daily Racing Forum an awful lot. And I'm not sure how that impacted on my path, but I think Maslow's, uh, there was a book by, I think his name was Edward Hoffman, The Right to Be Human, the Abraham Maslow biography. I think that was the most influential book that I read in my early 20s. I read it and I felt like I was born to do humanistic psych. It was the exact same feeling I'd had when I would see Eddie Green spent on TV after a, a trial victory. It felt like this was calling out to some other part of me that I had to honor. And 
I think that was really it. You know, he wrote so much about actualizing yourself, and he didn't really write about it in spiritual terms, but I think I, I extrapolated from that and really, you know, took on this idea that there was this possibility of some other innate image, some other image of possibility for who I could become that lived inside of me and that it was possible to find it in this lifetime. When you made that decision to um, step away from the law, talk about the path you undertook then, this, this warrior path, and how you became a writer. The first thing that I did when I stepped back was to do emotional work. You know, I had cleared emotional debris. That was the first thing that was pressing for me when I stepped back from law. And and after I did a lot of emotional clearing work, because I needed to create space inside to see what my path was. And I was all bunked up emotionally, and I couldn't find it, you know. I had little glimmers, but it wasn't clarified. And after that, I just did a lot of workshopping. I befriended this confusion. I let all of these voices of pathway possibility come up at one time and did workshops, uh, insight and opening workshop with Jack Cornfield and Stan Groff. I went to the Omega Institute in uh, Rhinebeck, did a lot of workshopping, Gene Houston and other people. Went to Harbin Hot Springs in Northern California, cracked open as often as I could. I just kept going places where I could crack open. and. Um, something in the heart of that crack open, I kept finding other directions to go. Yeah. Talk about the creating your, your book, Soul Shaping, and finding this path, and write, taking your path and turning it into something that's more universal that your readers can use to help shape their lives. When I felt the call to write in 01, Soul Shaping, it was clearly the next essential step for me. It was like I had no choice. If I didn't write, if, if I, didn't write I couldn't sleep. It was that powerful for me. But I, re I recognized while on the one hand I was just trying to write subjective journey, you know, basically work from diary. And, and I heard all these self-deprecating voices saying, who wants to read your story? And, but I had it in me, this belief somehow that my journey couldn't be so different from everybody else's, you know? And I would go and talk to people at lunch about what was up for them on their path. And then I would like immediately my writing self would put something together about that particular issue. And I would come right back to the computer that afternoon and write it. And, and now that the book's been out in the world for a while, I'm finding so many readers say that I wrote their story. You know, I mean, that's the most remarkable thing. You know, when you grow up in a traumatic environment, you think you're the only one with that kind of madness going on. And I was absolutely wrong. You know, it really is extraordinary how we are all part of this. While our divine purpose may be differentiated one from the other, we really all are part of the exact same uh, challenges in our efforts at this stage of the collective to identify true path. I mean, that's really the thing everybody's starting to think about around the same time. You know, it's really fantastic. Now, you, you talked about a traumatic upbringing. Tell us about how that impacted actually the, the, the life of your soul and the path of your soul and the, your perception of your own soul. I believe that I came in as a warrior soul. I'd been a trial lawyer before. It was just so old and familiar. And I believe I picked this really nasty, edgy family environment so I would grow tired of fighting, you know? And I think that's what it was. It just kept happening and happening. And at some point, I just, something clicked inside of me and it was like, okay, this is not the path you're here to walk. You're here to walk a benevolent warrior path or a more surrendered path in this lifetime. You know, I think our emotional material is important in many ways and linked to our spirituality. I don't think it's separate from spirituality. I think our emotional material, our issues, are the karmic field where our soul's lessons are harvested. And I call it sell your soul in the book, C-E-L-L, -L, your soul. I don't make any distinction between emotionality and spirituality. 
when you work the material and you like for example if i work my abandonment material and i develop a capacity to hold to it and stay centered in the heart of it and i get better at it as, as i go i feel like my spiritual consciousness expands in relation to that material one of the the really interesting things about this book is the dictionary you provided the vocabulary i think that this speaks to the power of language and and the power also uh, of your work so talk about creating this new language for for helping you find your own soul and helping your readers find theirs yeah for something happened about midway through the book i just started to craft language that was reflective of this upframed way of understanding reality so nervous breakdown became nervous breakthrough I have a term called truth aches, you know, when you're not really living in truth and there's various symptoms of your agitation physically or emotionally. Um, another term, enrealment, because enlightenment didn't work for me. It, it, the farther I went on my path, it wasn't all about some bliss state. It was really about just coming more completely into reality, you know. And I find that it, I had read Jean Houston, and she had this tendency with language, and it inspired me, and I felt comfortable doing this. So I, and I have a YouTube video on my Soul Shaping channel called Chaotic Magnificence. I started to write on my walls. It just started to come out of me. And really what it is is an attempt to just upframe the way we understand our reality so that we don't keep disparaging or discrediting it and we see it in a more heightened and, dire and positively directional terms. It, it seems that by uh, changing, changing the vocabulary and changing the, the terminology, you really enable, a, 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 it's the best way to create a, a fresh perspective on, on who you are and where you come from. Yeah, like when you say I had a nervous breakdown, you know, it's real discouraging sounding. But when you say I had a nervous breakthrough, it sounds like you got somewhere good, you know? And and if you see that breakdown, and if we don't stigmatize it, and we see it as really an attempt to cry for emotional freedom and authenticity, and we encourage people to see that breakdown all the way through to the lessons that it contains, it really is a breakthrough to a new consciousness. Now, um, once you've achieved in real mental, and once you've, you know, begun to shape your soul. Uh, talk about what happens afterwards. Well, where, where do you go? Do you, do you reach out to others? Yeah, my path has been really, I feel like I went inside and did a lot of individuated work as preparatory work and then reached a point where I was just kind of done with me. You know, it was like enough of you already. And, and then it just felt natural and just organic to start giving back and gifting back, I call it in the book, you know, the term seva to be of service. How, you know, how do you, how do you save the world? Really? You, you just gift back with whatever gifts that you have. And I feel like that's a natural, I think almost everybody's calling is linked to other it is this relational dance of sacred imagination and that really at some point along the way you, you start to shed the just Jeff thing and you have an organic movement out to just bring your, your whatever your awareness is, your authenticity is out to other. Yeah. I'd like you to talk just a little bit about the process of writing this book. These kind of books can't be easy to, to craft. Talk about uh, going from, you know, your your working on yourself to writing down words that other people can read in a, in a manner they can, you know, grok what, what, what you're trying to explain. I mean, it was a, a often miserable uh, and sometimes ecstatic process. Uh, it, when, it, when I had, could create space to let it take over, it just took over. I filled my answering machine message, messages up with messages. I wrote on my hands. I, I was out of control writing on walls. And, and at other times, I had a very difficult time finding the words because 
my shaming self, you know, the part of me that felt like I really didn't have anything to offer, that what, you know, who wants to read your bloody diary? I had to deal with my demons more sitting. There was like I was a sitting duck. I wasn't in motion anymore. They had me. And so I really had to learn how to like really get absorbed in the path. And even if 51% of my consciousness said, yes, honor the calling, and 49 said, you don't even, who are you kidding? I developed the capacity, and this was the warrior, I think, in me, to just sit there and just keep at it. Jeff, could you tell us about the importance of being quiet and embracing quiet? Yeah, it was very important for me to get out of distraction, to get out of my daily habitual life as well, my habitual range of emotion and activity, and to just have some solitude, like to literally create some space or time in my life to sit in the not knowing, to listen to what what lived inside of me rather than to be externally distracted and always overstimulated. And for most people on this path, I just tell them the first thing to do is to create some space in your week where you can sit quietly and in solitude in nature any any place you know that brings out that deeper self that really excavates those voices and authentic um, pathways inside of you and to just start building it into your life a little bit more all the time because for me I was really hardly ever able to hear the path in a really noisy environment you know I mean not just physically noisy but also internally noisy and you know, quietness comes so often when we do the emotional work. You know, you clear the emotional debris, and then you're really peaceful inside. And that's an important part of creating quiet and solitude also. I like this term, solitude. It's a great uh, turn of phrase. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's uh, it was just, that's what it was. I kept going to nature, and I was just... I was just looking for a little bit of solitude, just a little bit of time with this soul self, this little missy voice that was pulling at me and tugging me in some other direction. And, you know, I I, I really was clear that that's what I was listening for. It was spiritual. It was soulful. It was not some egoic voice. It wasn't just like some internalized pathway of what my mother told me to become or society did. It was this divine purpose that was coming through me and only came through me when I created a little solitude, a little space to to hear it. Talk talk about overcoming that, you know, internal editor who who tells you no and and about, you know, creating. Did you write this by hand? Did you write it on a computer? I wrote on a computer and... uh, um, Overcoming that, I mean, I think I had done enough, just enough work Take, you know, it was like I had hid my light under a bushel of shame. That's how I think of it for a long time. And I think I had done enough emotional clearing work, just enough, so that when I sat there, I could breathe into that negative self-talk and just hold to the belief. And it's faith-driven for the most part that, in fact, I absolutely had something to offer. And But I, I don't have any, you know, I call it divine perspiration. This is hard work. I don't think it's some easy... You know, I never tell anybody, you know, honoring your calling is going to be an easy thing. You know, for some, maybe it is. But I think, you know, you're going to have all the stuff that the collective unconscious holds in terms of negative self-talk, shame, self-doubt, all of that paralyze you sometimes. Apart from economic reality and root chakra, and are you honoring your needs and basic needs and all that? And there's a lot up against us on the sacred battleground if you want to try to push something out like this. But, you know, you have to find, you got to find faith and you have to have courage. Could you talk about where you drew the courage from? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I, uh, I, I mean, my warrior soul has something to draw from, but I, I don't know how to explain. 
you know, mostly little increments, like little victories that allowed me to believe more strongly in myself, you know, and just moving through life like that, achieving something, becoming a lawyer, feeling stronger, building a healthy self-concept. I mean, this notion about egolessness never made any sense to me because without a healthy self-concept, I couldn't achieve anything in this world. And I needed something to come home to, and I think that that was some, somehow part of it. But why somebody honors and opens the door, the gateway, and, and someone doesn't, I don't, I don't think that's a very simple thing to, to understand. I've been speaking with Jeff Brown. His new book is Soul Shaping. Thank you for speaking with me, Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>